we're still in Acts, a church on the move. Today, uh, we're talking about that game time is near. What, what do I mean by that? Well, chapter 1 of Acts covers roughly 10 days of time. There, from the time Jesus died and rose again until Acts chapter 1 is about 40 days. And the Bible tells us in those 40 days that Jesus was appearing to the disciples and, and to others and he's teaching them and he's still uh, carrying on that, that ministry that, that he had of teaching and helping them understand. And uh, it, it might be interesting to you that the Bible doesn't tell us anything he taught in those 40 days as far as saying, oh, and after his resurrection he said this and this and this. Uh, but if you read the rest of the New Testament, I think you get it because he's probably now applying everything he'd been teaching them and the rest of the New Testament gives us our beliefs and what it meant, what Christ's life means to us. So, so I believe that the rest of the New Testament from Acts on is the, the, the organized understanding of what Christ taught in those 40 days. And then we come to the end of those 40 days and Jesus ascends to heaven. And then it's 10 days to Acts chapter 2 verse 1, which is Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes on the church. And so many times as we read through, as we talk about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we sang this morning about the cross. Uh, we'll probably sing about that at the invitation time as well. Um, we, we kind of emphasize the cross and then somewhat the resurrection and we hardly ever talk about the ascension. But the ascension is important because without the ascension, we don't have any power here on earth. If Jesus does not leave, we don't have any power. It is in his leaving that we obtain the power of the Holy Spirit living with us. And, and so that's where I, I, kind of what I want you to see today. I, in fact, here's what I want you to take home with you if you want to go ahead and put that up. That Jesus has taken back his position so we can live in power. He has gone back to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. Do, do you remember when you first believed, when you first were a Christian? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I grew up in a Christian home. So me, when, when I got saved, it wasn't like, you know, I, I had lived a lot of life yet. And, uh, and, and I appreciate that. That's a great testimony. But, but I just remember that as a young teenager, God getting a hold of my life in an in a even... I don't want to say more special way, but for me, a, a more special way. Um, and 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 I was total. I became totally surrendered to Christ. And and back in those days, when when I realized how real God was to me, and how real God is, uh, and and how we can know Him, I just remember uh, the, those days clearly. And and what I wanted to ask you is, do you, do you remember those days when God became real to you? Do you remember when you were so ignorant and so naive, you actually believed that God could do anything? Yeah, he can. Of course he can. But we kind of get older and we start thinking, uh, I don't know, we, we just don't believe God can do things uh, like, like he used to. I mean, as a, as a teenager, I remember when I could drive and my car being almost on empty. And from those days, it's still hard to put more than $3 worth of gas in my car. But uh, $3 back then would buy uh, 12 gallons, so I guess I'd fill it up. But, but uh, you know, you'd have a dollar. And I, I can remember riding down the road and seeing the gas tank on empty and going, Oh, Lord, please put gas in my tank without me going to the service station. And somehow I made it home. I don't know how that happened. But, but, but literally, you know, we just believed God could do anything. We would just ask Him. In fact... Uh, uh, as, as I was going into my senior year of high school, the year was 1976, uh, just to show you how old I am, 
But our church decided to start a Christian school. And so, so we did. We began this Christian school. And, and that summer, UPS went on strike. Now, I'm going to tell you why those two things match. Because the kind of school we did, the curriculum they were going to use, is something called the ACE system, Accelerated Christian Education. And each student gets paces. And a pace was your booklet on your subject. Now, the only thing I had to take to graduate high school was English. And obviously, I didn't do too well on that subject. But, uh, that, and it was South Carolina, so come on. Uh, but, but, uh, but, but we had these little booklets, and UPS went on strike, and we didn't have our material. Now, here's the deal you, you got to understand. I, I just like to tell the story because of what God did. But, uh, so what we did in those first few weeks that we didn't have any curriculum is we played football. Um, a lot. And if you know anything about Christian schools, especially when they're the first year they get started, every kid in town that has gotten kicked out of every public school, their parent puts them in that school, <laughs> praying for a miracle, right? So we had a bunch of guys in the school that were, that were you know, they'd been in trouble everywhere else, and mom and dad's in there. So we go out there to play football, and, you know, the guy from the church would be a captain, and one of those guys would be captain. And it was always the lost guys against the saved guys. You know, I don't know how that worked out. But the saved guy, we'd beat the fool out of them for the glory of God. And a bunch of them got saved when they realized we weren't a bunch of pansies. So uh, that was, it was awesome that, that Christ could be real. But Christ was real us. And, and I remember as students, we, we didn't get our curriculum, didn't get our curriculum. UPS is on strike. And... And one day, one, I don't remember exactly who said it and exactly how it worked, but we went to our teachers and all said, have, have we had a prayer meeting about this? Have we prayed about this at all? And they said, well, no, not, not you know, we're praying, but not. I said, well, we won't have a prayer meeting. So we got together and we had a prayer meeting. Guess what? Next day, the next day, our material was there. And UPS was still on strike. And to this day, I don't know how it got there because UPS either didn't deliver it or somebody delivered it. And it, it was just weird. It just showed up. And I just remember that was a, a faith-building moment for me. But then I got older. I, I had a professor in seminary. His, his name was uh, Bill Larkin. Bill, uh, Pastor, uh, Professor Larkin is with the Lord now. And he was a small man. He was a slight man. He wasn't, he wasn't a he-man in any man's definition of that word. He was one of the greatest warriors for God I ever knew. But if you saw him, you wouldn't think that of him. I remember one day he stopped me in the hall and he said, Stuart, I want to ask you a question. Have we educated the fire out of you yet? I said, excuse me? Well, I don't understand the question. He said, it is my fear that here at the seminary, we will educate young men in a way that we educate fire out of them. He wanted us to have the fire of the Holy Spirit in the midst of what we had learned. Amen. By the way, he was a Presbyterian. Yeah. I told you all, denominational labels don't matter because they burn off in hell and they fall off in heaven. So it doesn't matter what you want to call yourself here. But man, what a testimony for us as young people when, when in prayer God answered because Jesus has taken back his position. So we now have power. That's what the ascension means for us. Okay, I'm done. Let's go home. No, I'm, let me explain a little bit. Let's, let's read Acts 1, 9 through 11, because that's the point right there, and I want you to get that point. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read 
Acts 1, beginning in verse 9 through verse 11. Very short passage. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. And Lord, in these brief moments and from these few verses, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that radically changes our life. God, I pray that today, if, if we're on fire, we would burn hotter and brighter. If we're, if we're not on fire, God, that today you would ignite a spark in us that caused us to catch fire. And Lord, if our wood's wet, we pray you'd dry us out. And that, Lord, we would, uh, we would be made, uh, brought to the p- point where you, we could catch fire. Lord Jesus, you, you meant for us to live a life that, that was a light into a dark world. And if our fire is out, we can't be that light. So, Lord, we pray that we would today understand you, know you, be more like you for having been here. And may your word bear fruit in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. God's word bearing fruit is his will. Amen. Well, I, I want you to see, first of all, the purpose of the ascension. Uh, it's in the Apostles' Creed. We believe that Jesus died first sins, was buried, rose on the third day, and ascended into heaven. We, we, we used to say that. And, and, and so we, we don't want to lose the importance uh, of these verses. He had said that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And he sends them away uh, to, to Jerusalem to pray for ten days to wait on the Holy Spirit. And, and here in verse 9, as he said this, they, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Now, I don't think anybody's ever seen that before. And I don't know about you, but I, I can just imagine all of a sudden he just starts rising and, and their eyes go up and they see him leave. And it says the cloud, a cloud took him out of their sight. I don't think he just went up through the clouds. It says it's sort of like a cloud took him on up that, that it got between them and him and uh, You've, you've read a lot about clouds in the Bible. Uh, obviously, God led the children of Israel by cloud by day. Uh, clouds covered the mountain when Moses was talking. Uh, clouds seemed very uh, important in God's work. Um, uh, Elijah, when he was carried, carried off, it was a storm uh, that came with that chariot of fire. And, and the purpose of the ascension is, first of all, that Jesus took that place of power. The reason he's ascending to the Father is to take the place of power. And, and let me just tell you where that is. In, in Hebrews 1, we've been going over this a lot in, in prayer class. I've been saying it uh, on Sunday nights. And I've been saying a lot of, uh, on Sunday morning. But in, in chapter 1 of Hebrews, it talks about how God has spoken to us in many ways to many people. And then it says, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, and then he says, who appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his name. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification of sin, and how did Jesus do that? The cross. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become much superior to angels and goes on. And, and I want you to kind of get this. I, 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 in my life, have struggled with putting this stuff together because the Bible does fit together. And remember at the 
at the tomb when Mary saw Jesus and she went to grab him. He said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my father. And, and I, I struggle with that because we also believe this, that when Jesus died, what do you think he did for three days? I mean, his body was in the tomb, but where was Jesus? Y- y'all do know there's a difference between the body and who you are, right? The body's just the house you live in. You with me? So, by the way, you don't know what color you are. You know what color your house is, but you don't know what color you are. Some of y'all are going to get shocked when you get to heaven. <laughs> Amen. So, where was he? Well, let me tell you, let me put it all together how we, how we believe it. And, and the words of Jesus on the cross, one of his phrases helps us. Jesus looks at the thief and the thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Right. He didn't say heaven. He said paradise. Is there a difference? Well, we believe there is. The Old Testament calls where the dead go the place of the dead. Right. Sheol. Everybody goes to Sheol. When you die, you go to Sheol. And we believe that the place of the dead is made up of two sides, if, if you will, two places. Paradise and hell. Now, guess what? People don't live for or don't die forever in hell. Because after Jesus comes back at the end of tribulation, hell will be emptied and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire and hell are two different places, right? We believe paradise and heaven are two different places. But we don't have to wait for Jesus to come back to go to heaven. So Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he told us a story to help describe this. Jesus told us about the rich man and Lazarus. And if you go back and read that story, all he'd been saying in a parable, the Bible would say, and he told him a parable saying, he told him a parable saying, told him, and then he said, there, it, there was a rich man. And at his gate sat a poor man named Lazarus. And all of a sudden, everybody knew who he's talking about. And the rich man died and he went to hell And the poor man died, the beggar Lazarus died, and he went to Abraham's bosom. That's another name. And then, of course, the guy in hell prays, says, Hey, would you send him over to touch the tip of my tongue with with his finger dipped in water just because I'm being tormented? And Abraham said, Nope, can't do it because those who are here can't go there, and those who are there can't come here. And besides that, there's a great chasm fixed that no man can cross so hell and paradise are looking at each other that's part of being in hell being separated from from God right and then we read in Peter that Jesus went and led captivity captive and led them to heaven so in those three days when his body's in the tomb Jesus goes and preaches to the prisoners in the place of the dead And carries captivity captive. Those who are in paradise go, he takes them to heaven. But instead of sitting down, Jesus returns back to earth, fills his body, and comes out of the tomb. Are you following me? Just putting it together time-wise. And when Mary goes to the ground, he says, I have not yet ascended to my Father. What does it mean to ascend? It means to take back up the mantle I laid down of deity, of acting in pure Deity form, I've not yet been seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's saying, don't, don't, this is different now, but we're not there yet. And Jesus is going to leave earth here in Acts 1, 
and go and walk in and sit down at the right hand of the Father. This is him retaking. And what, what I'm, what, I can't preach a sermon without going further into Acts and telling you what's about to happen. In chapter 2, it's going to tell us that having completed that work, Jesus received from the Father that which was promised to him. And Peter says, and now he's poured that out on us, which is he received the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Holy Spirit, he's poured the Holy Spirit out on us. And somewhere, somehow... God, in in conference with himself, the Father made a plan, Jesus executed the plan, and the Spirit empowers the plan. Are you with me? Okay, just make sure you follow me. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three are one God. The three are equal in authority and essence and power and dominion. Yet there are three persons. We Don't ask me to explain it further than that because I, I don't understand it either. No man ever has. But we do understand that's the truth of it. We just don't understand how it works exactly. And that Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. And somehow by doing that, the Spirit has submitted himself to the will of Jesus. And he test, And Jesus said, and when, it's good for you, Jesus said in John, that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Spirit won't come. But I, when I go away, I'm going to send another comforter to you. And he will teach you everything. He will lead you to understand everything I taught you. And he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Are you following me? See, you and I say all the time, oh man, or I hear people say it and I've thought it myself. Oh, I wish I lived back there with Jesus. Man, that wouldn't have been amazing to see him raise the dead. Wouldn't have been amazing to see him feed 5,000. Well, here's the fact. If you'd have lived then, you might not have ever seen him. You might have lived in North America and died without ever getting to see him. Another subject, another time. But just saying. Right? And if you did see him, woo, that had been awesome to watch, but it wouldn't have done you much good. When Jesus, Jesus said, I am quoting Jesus now, it is good for you that if I go away. Because it, when I go away, the Holy Spirit, God himself is going to live in you. And you don't have to watch a work of God, you'll become a work of God. Now that's cool. <laughs> that's a lot better than watching it to be a part of it. You know? So Jesus has re taken his place of power and because he's taken his place of power he is in a place of provision he provides for us the holy spirit who empowers us to do what we need to do this isn't our logic this isn't our effort this isn't what we can muster up the power to do what we're supposed to be doing should be in the power of the holy spirit and the other thing i want you to understand the purpose of the ascension not only does jesus retake his power and provide he's in a place of petition in other words i can pray to him and and the spirit interprets the prayers number one and and then number two he gives me whatever we need when we ask john 15 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you you can ask whatever you will and it will be done for you like getting your school books or getting home on an empty tank of gas or maybe praying for a lost person to be saved see once you realize that because of Jesus's ascension we can go to God in the power of the spirit and ask for whatever is necessary and that he will do it That'll change your prayer life. 
And you'll pray for bigger things. You'll begin to ask God to bring nations under his control by the power of the gospel. So many of... Uh, so, well, I heard a missionary one time say it this way. He said, we, we kneel in prayer and God says, oh, you, you're going to ask for something. Okay, and he pulls out his checkbook. And he says, what is it? What do you need? What? What? I, I'm sorry. Say that again. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't do that. And he reaches in his pocket and pulls out some change and he sprinkles it because that's all we ask for. God wants to do a lot more than we ever ask him for. I mean, we spend most of our time praying to keep people out of heaven instead of trying to keep people out of hell. I mean, let, let me just tell you something. When I die, I'm going to heaven. And the sooner the better. And I'm not quoting a 60 song, delivered the letter, the sooner the better. <laughs> That's my home. And I, I appreciate it. You know, I want to live here a long time. I want to enjoy my family. I want to enjoy being here. I want to enjoy serving God. But it's coming an end to it. I'm not fighting to live longer. I'm fighting to live better. And so, and if you don't believe me, just get any church's prayer list. I don't say any church's, but most churches' prayer list. We're praying about people's health. And there's well and good. I'm not against that. Sometimes God heals, shows his power. Sometimes God uses sickness to discipline. To, to, sometimes he does it so that we'll depend on him more for his grace. I, I get that. There are many purposes for illness. But, but instead of praying for people to get well, we ought to pray for God's will to be done, right? We, we need to be praying that God would give us, I mean, what do you want Calvary to be? I'm talking to the members. If you're a guest here, God bless you, glad you're here. But, what, but for members, what do you want Calvary to be? Do you want us to be a church that, man, if you're sick, go ask them because they'll pray for you, man, you'll get well. Or do you want to be a, a, a church that ministers as the body of Christ to the needs of the community and sees people come to know Christ in a personal and powerful way? That's what I'm, I'm praying for God to start giving us seven souls a week to be saved. And the promise I'm claiming is, and the Lord added daily those who are being saved. Seven days in a week, seven people. And then once God starts giving us seven, I'm going to ask for 14. And when he gives us 14, I'm going to ask for 28. And I'm going to keep doubling it. I don't know how long it's going to take to get to seven. Depend, you know, that's, that's up to God. He may never let us see seven a week. But I'm praying for that. Because I believe God can do that. And I believe God will do that. I don't want to forget what it was like when I was a kid. And I was just dumb enough to think God would answer my prayers. But see, we just kind of throw it up to God and hope he catches it, right? We just, well, I prayed, but God didn't do anything. Well, how much did you pray? It says in Hebrews, those who come to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Oh, you mean I can't just go, oh, don't see him anywhere. I hope he's, he's there and go off. Or do I need to diligently look for him? Do I need to, last, last Sunday, you know, it was, it, it was Resurrection Sunday. And it was Easter and people hunt eggs and stuff. And our grown son and his wife came to visit. And we wanted to help him a little bit with money for gas, driving up and stuff. And so my wife went and got, you know, some money broken down to smaller bills and put them in eggs and hid them. 
And the biggest bill we hid the best. Said it was hard to find. And they had to diligently seek for it. What are you diligently seeking for with God? Is it something temporal or is it something eternal? There's only four etern- uh, three eternal things, sorry. I was doing a joke, but the reality is there's three eternal things. God, God's word, and the souls of men. And every man, woman, boy, and girl that you see in your day-to-day life is either going to heaven or to hell. What are you praying for? What are you diligently seeking God for? There's also a prophecy in the ascension. First of all, the Bible prophesied that he would ascend back into heaven. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is quoting Psalm 68. I know Ephesians 4 is written after the ascension. But, he, but Paul is quoting Psalms 68, 18. And Ephesians 4, 8, just, uh, it's written there. For when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now the captives are those coming out of paradise and the gifts to men are the spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. And that's quoting Psalms 68, 18. And Psalms 110, 1 also says that he would ascend back into heaven. And so we have a prophecy that he's going. But in this text and in other places in the Bible, we have another prophecy. He's coming back. Right? Jesus is coming back. It says here the angels said, uh, because all these people are just looking up into heaven. They're they're looking up and behold, two men are standing by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why stand, why stand, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, I, I, you know, we put it in proper English and and all that. But I got a feeling the angels said, what y'all looking at? You know, and, and as I said, I mean, he starts going up, and I'm just sure that their jaw went all slack and agape as they went. And they're looking, where'd he go? And they're trying to find him, they're trying to see him. Said, so why are you looking up? He's coming back. Go get busy. Go do what God, he told you to do. That's not actually written there, but it's implied. Why are you just standing around looking up? Now, I think there's a time for that. There's a time for worship, right? But they weren't worshiping. They're just standing there not doing anything. He said, he's coming back the same way you saw him go up. That's going to become important later, but I'm going to say more about that. But in Zechariah 14.4, and you say, where is Zechariah? You want to go to heaven and have Zechariah walk up to you and go, did you read my book? And you go, no. Zechariah, and now I should have marked it, right? Zechariah 14.4, it says this, well, verse 3. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. It's bringing them to know him. And on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. So that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other southward. Do you know where Jesus is standing when he ascended? He's standing on the Mount of Olives. Do you know where the Mount of Transfiguration was? It's the Mount of Olives. This is the spot. That is ground zero. 
you want to be in a cool place when Jesus returns, be on top of the Mount of Olives. Because he's going to step on you. That's where he's coming. He is coming back, and there's no doubt about that. I, I, I think it was just last week, or it might have been two weeks ago. I, I, I talked about that out of Revelation 19. Jesus riding on a white horse, coming out of heaven. And, and, and it says, uh, he's clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he's called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven are arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with a which to strike down the nations, he will rule them with a rod of iron. He'll tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I was in a church one time, a lady, she didn't like tattoos. And she came and said, what do you think about tattoos, Pastor? I said, Jesus has one. She said, excuse me? How do you get that? I said, right here, Revelation 19. 16, it says, on his thigh is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the only time I ever saw that woman speechless. <laughs> so she walked away. She didn't know what to say. I don't actually know if it's a tattoo or not, but I don't think we ought to be judging that like that. <laughs> Folks, Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he ain't playing. It, I mean, it, it, It's done. On that day, you better have it right because it's done when he comes back. He, he's not coming back to play. He's coming back to rule. And he's going to rule this planet. He's going to rule for a thousand years. Jesus is returning. And the Bible says we ought to live every day as if he's returning. We ought to, we ought to live each day as if you say, well, I just don't think he'll come back in my lifetime. By the way, let me just tell you, in Thessalonians, when it talks about the second coming of the Lord... It says that he won't come back until we know who the Antichrist is. Now, if we're going to know who the Antichrist is before he comes back, it is not going to be a good day on this planet. So quit trying to get, think that politicians are going to save you. Because it's only going to get worse. And when Jesus comes back, he'll fix that then. Until then, serve him, don't serve something else. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved, I'm just saying... Don't put all your hope in that. Put your hope in Christ. All right, that's all I'm saying. Because I want you to get the point of the ascension. Because he's gone, and I've already said it, and I've said it more than once, and I'm going to keep saying it, we now have the Holy Spirit. God himself lives in us. Paul put it this way, that the power of his glory we have in earthen vessels, in this body, in this body made out of clay, God is living in us. Now, it's not the same as Jesus. Jesus is God, but we have God living with us. The Holy Spirit, who is God, lives in us, and we've got a job to do. And the Holy Spirit didn't come just so we could have a holy fit. He came so that in that holy fit, we would go out and help other people know him. And that we would live like Christ in the world. It's one thing to weep and cry and pray over the lost. It's another thing to minister to the lost. To feed the hungry and clothe the naked. And bring the good news of the gospel to those who need to hear it. That's what we got to do. We, we can't sit around with our little flashlights and have a holy huddle. We got to get outside. I, I read a quote. just Between services, I read a quote. I was looking at stuff and I read something. And it said this. Be like Jesus. Hang out with sinners until it ruins your reputation. 
I thought, woo, that's good. <laughs> that's what he did. The sinners loved him. It was the religious people that had their trouble with him. Because he came to save sinners. That's what Paul said. Here's a worthy a saying, worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And how is Jesus going to save sinners? If in Romans it says that blessed are the feet of those who preach the gospel. That how are they going to believe unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? And how is anybody going to tell them if you don't go? That's our job. And if all we do is talking to Christians, nobody else is going to get saved. We've got to talk to lost people. And we can't talk to them if we don't like them. If we don't love them, if we don't minister to them. We'd rather sit back in our holy huddle and go, well, look at them. We like to be the church lady, you know. We, we, we just, we want to condemn people. We have the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. What are you afraid of? we got a job to do. And here's why we can do it. Because we look forward to a sure future. I know where I'm going. Nothing on this world is going to ruin me going to heaven. I'm going. That's locked in. You know? I, it's going to happen. Sorry. Might disappoint some people, but I'm actually going to get to go to heaven. <laughs> and it's not because I'm good. It's because he's good and what he did for me. So what can we do with all this? Now, here's a couple things. In prayer every morning, thank Jesus, that he is in heaven preparing our future. He said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I've got it done, I'm going to come back. So that where I am, you can be there also. Now, this is an illustration. He uses a marriage in the New Testament days to say that. Because what would happen is a guy would fall in love with a girl or whatever. He'd find a girl he wanted to marry. So he, I guess he talked to her. I, I don't know. But he talked to her dad back in those days. And the dad agreed arrangements would be made. The girl's going to marry the guy, however that works. And he goes, okay, good. And then the guy would leave and go build a house. And when he got the house that they were going to live in finished, he came back and got the bride. Now, you notice he had to make two trips. One to lay claim to her, and a second one to get her. Jesus has laid claim to us. We are the bride of Christ. We're just waiting for him to come back and get us. And Jesus said that to Philip. Hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So where I am there, you can be also. And when it's done, I'll come back and get you. That's awesome. He is coming back. And so I just got to just wait. Now remember, let me just throw this in here real quick. The illustration of the ten virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. The foolish ones didn't bring enough oil to wait till the, till the bridegroom got there because he showed up late at midnight, late to them. And five were wise, they had enough oil. They had, they had, oh, they heard the noise, they heard the trumpet. Let me just fix the flame, trim the wick a little bit, turn it up. We don't have any oil, can we borrow some? Nope, Sorry. And they go, are you wise or foolish? Are you looking for his return? Are you prepared? And what is oil a sign of in the, in the Bible? Thank you, the Holy Spirit. So are you living in the power of the Holy Spirit, letting your light shine to a dark world, waiting on Jesus to come back? That's what he wanted to get out of that. Sorry, I'm getting excited again. I'm preaching a whole other sermon. 
So in prayer every morning, just thank him that he's there already. Thank you, you're there, you're getting a place ready, and I can go through anything today because I know where I'm going when it's all done. I can endure anything as long as I know the end's coming. And it, I started to say, I don't know if I said it or not, some of y'all say, I don't think he's coming back in my lifetime. Really? You're going to him and in, in yours? Whether he comes back for you, you're going to see him in your lifetime. Because the minute you die, you're going to be looking at him. And you're going to hear his judgment at that moment. I, when I say goodbye to people, I like to say, here, there, or in the air, I'll see you later. I'm either going to see you somewhere here, I'm going to see you in heaven, or in the air when we all get caught up, I'll, 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 I'll catch you then. Secondly, you need to plan your day around the fact that Jesus is coming. Now, I've, I've been holding off on a verse that I wanted to share with you. It's 1 John 3.3. 3. In 1 John, which is, if you go backwards, Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. So that'll help you. 1 John 3, 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father's given us that we should be called children of God. If you've got, you got a negative self-image or, or, or self-worth, God loves you so much he calls you his child. What else do you need? Who cares about the rest? See what kind of love the Father's given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, I still look like the lost guy was before I got saved. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. When I see Jesus, boom, in that moment, I'll be changed and I'll look like Jesus. Y'all with me? Because you got to know that to catch the next verse. Verse 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. When Jesus returns, what do you want to be found doing? Playing solitaire? Or something worse? Watching something on television you shouldn't be watching? Joining in with some guys doing things that maybe they shouldn't be doing. Or, I'm not saying separate yourself from those guys. I'm saying to join in with their deeds. Be a witness to them. Don't join them in their evil, right? You got to be a witness. You got to love them. You got to, but you don't have to join them in their evil. Because Jesus is coming back. And if you're witnessing, that's cool. <laughs> But you need to purify yourself because he is pure and he's coming to get you. And the Bible says if you've got that hope, man, you're going to order your life around the fact Jesus is coming back. And guess what? You may have 70 or 80 years at best. I had a cousin surrendered to the ministry, died at 25 of cancer. That's all he had. That is all he had. We sang, the first song we sang today is written by Hank Williams. Not junior, senior. Bocephus' daddy. He died in his 20s. How long you got? I don't know. And only God knows. You don't even know. But that's the point. If you got this hope, you'll purify yourself. You'll order your life around the fact that you're about to see Jesus. And you'll be a wise virgin and you'll live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll have the oil of the Spirit lighting your lamp to give light to the darkness. So that when Jesus returns, you'll be found faithful. 
And then thirdly, live every day in the power and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. That day that you've ordered, you don't have the power to do it. That day you say, man, Jesus, come back today. I'm going to do good. You don't have power to do good. Forget that. But the Spirit has power to do good through you and in you. And you can become a work of God. You can be a work of God. You can let the Holy Spirit order your life and do what Christ has given you. I I said at the beginning, Jesus has taken back his position so we can live in his power. And he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in Acts 2 very clearly. Many weeks from now, but we'll see it. That the Holy Spirit lives with us and in us. And that's not just for us as individuals, that's us as a church. So what are you praying for yourself and what are you praying for Calvary? Because what we want to do is see people come to know the Lord and grow in Him so that they... Wouldn't you want to see just dozens of young people go into the mission field, the pastorate, and the ministry out of Calvary? Wouldn't that be awesome? What fruit are we producing for Christ? Well, the ascension makes it possible we can produce more than we are. And so let's believe God and work for it.